We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome on in. This is the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast for Thursday, October 20th. This podcast presented to you by our friends over at No House Advantage. John McKechnie, Mario Puig here, breaking down all of the Week 7 action across the league. We got a couple more teams on by, some injuries that we got to figure out, some waiver claims that we got to figure out if we're starting, if we're sitting, and so on. Let's get it rolling. Welcome on in. This is the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast, again, presented by our friends over at No House Advantage, John McKechnie and Mario Puig, hanging out with you on this Thursday. Mario, uh, for for a slight change of pace here, uh, the Thursday night game this week actually looks like it might might have some points scored in it. Let me stop you right to... there, John. Okay, uh, I'm, I'm, no, I mean... I'm, I'm kidding myself. It can't be as bad as the other ones, but yeah, it's like we got a, the over-under is down like two and a half points because um, both sides have pretty battered offensive lines. Like, I guess the Saints, uh, I don't know who he is, but that Throckmorton guy's been hurt, and now they don't have Andrews Pete, who I think is their left right. guard, and then the, the Cardinals don't have Rodney Hudson at center, Justin Pierre at guard. Uh, it's, it's a, it could be a little bit messy, if only because Thursday games often are for the for the, you know, limited practice time or whatever else, whatever the other reasons might be for that trend. And then uh, we just have a bunch of moving parts on both teams and both offense and defense. So, I mean, it is possible that one team's or both teams defenses slip so much that the offenses that that they slip, you know, at a faster rate than the offenses with their injuries. But it's uh, particularly in the Cardinals case, it's like just a crap mismanaged team at every level. And they, they don't, like they can't be counted on to do anything that they otherwise should be able to do. So when they actually have excuses for poor play, they could take it to a pretty dark place. So which of those defenses would you kind of circle as the one that, that blinks first, that, that starts to kind of like ha- have that backslide in real time? Oh man. So the Cardinals defense has just been bad anyway, all year. Uh, the saints can be good especially against the run, they're pretty reliably good. They've had some issues at corner. Uh, I don't know if Paulson Adebo's playing through injury explains him getting worse results than last year, uh, but two weeks now without Marshawn Lattimore, that, that definitely hurts them, especially with DeAndre Hopkins coming back. 
Uh, I know you, someone someone might say like, well, they're losing Marquise Brown, so it's kind of a break even, and that's generally true. But Hopkins would have been much better matched by a corner like Lattimore, who's who's kind of built like him. Uh, Lattimore, I don't know. It's it's a uh, maybe Lattimore would have been worse against Marquise Brown, but like he he with this game, it would have been you know, really good to get him back and, and uh, they don't have him. So with that said, I, I just don't know what you can do with an offense where everybody that you play against knows all your plays and they know where you're going every single play. And uh, it's not Kyler Murray's fault, but this offense sucks. It's a, it's a crap offense. Cliff Kingsbury uh, has nothing to start with and it doesn't seem like he's even a particularly hard worker. It doesn't seem like he really cares to do much more than hang out at day clubs and just buy expensive things and hang out with uh, other uh, delightfully rich and uh, beautiful young people. And uh, he, he'll he have the right to keep doing that. I mean, I'm sure he's made enough bank to do it, but I don't think he's long for this job. Yeah, even even with the – did he get extended over the summer? He did, and so did Steve uh, – Steve Kime. I always mix up the – there's this Washington beat writer named Kime, and I, I sometimes switch them up. But uh, mm. Kime, that's the – the Arizona GM, he's a scoundrel. So I, you know, he's not, you know, volunteering to be the one to go, uh, but someone's got to, somebody's head has to roll for this. Uh, ownership won't accept this. The ownership's at once too incurious to like actually look at the team and uh, grapple with it beyond Steve Kime, uh, uh, who seems to be just like drinking buddies with the owners. Uh, and you know that Kime being the kind of dirt bag he is, to be fair to Cliff, uh, Kime is not the one volunteering to go. He's he's going to be saying like, "Oh yeah, boss, uh, Cliff, he's 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 he must have pulled a fast one on us or something, you know, because I didn't do anything wrong. I'm, I know I uh, drafted Josh Rosen and all the other things, and I I I, I might have seemed like I screwed up a lot of stuff, but I think if we just fire Cliff, that should fix everything. And owners are all idiots, so uh, especially if if the the person in question is, you know, good at buttering up that kind of rich person cliff is gone uh the question is whether both of them are gone the question is whether uh the owner is so sick of time getting them into these situations over and over that they just say to hell with you both but the owners don't actually care that much you know they just don't want to they don't want to look like idiots in the press they don't want to look they don't want to be embarrassed publicly the winning part they couldn't care less about to, to them Sports teams are just like high yield savings accounts where they where they just get uh, predetermined high yield returns for for not necessarily much investment relative to the, to the certainty of the volumes of money that they get in return. And uh, beyond their vanity, they're, they're not really concerned with much other than those returns. So uh, depends on just how how personally embarrassed the Cardinals ownership might feel about this is, is what will determine whether time sticks around too, but at least one of them is gone and it, or rather at least cliff is gone. Maybe both. Oof, some, some potential house cleaning uh, for, for Arizona. And I don't know. Cliff looks like he has a pretty clean house, but. Um, oh, he's got a nice house, John. He's uh, it's, it's, it's so based of him too. You remember that when people were like, Man, look at how cool Cliff is. He's got a, oh, wow. he's got a house from Parasite. Yes. <laughs> Do you know what that movie's about? Right, yeah. <laughs> Great film, by the way. I, I hadn't thought about that one in a minute. I think that was the last movie I saw in theaters uh, pre-pandemic. Um, but uh, moving back to uh, the, the Jimmy, Jimmy's and Joes on the field here, uh, what do you expect 
in DeAndre Hopkins return and, and, you know, what, what is kind of like the, the overall, um, you know, pl- plus minus that, that comes into play here with the subtraction of Marquise Brown from the offense, but now the, the long awaited um, addition of Hopkins. Well, I think Hopkins is the kind of guy to, you know, put in the work and be certainly competitive on the field. So I'd be pretty surprised if he showed up looking like some kind of schlub, you know, he's probably going to, it, it, no Lattimore is big too. It's like he doesn't need to necessarily get open to make catches and then against guys like Bradley Roby or Adebo, uh, Murray can just kind of force the ball to him and it might work out okay. And I, I would actually say that's kind of like what defined whatever extent of success the Cardinals ever had under Cliff Kingsbury is just Kyler Murray's dropping back. Everybody's covered because defenses know every play and whether they move the ball and get some points simply comes down to whether Murray can get Hopkins to make these, you know, contested catches and Hopkins usually does something. And sometimes he even does a lot. And sometimes he does a lot on a day where, you know, someone else gets open a little or Murray gets loose as a runner. And in those games, they, they can look like a competitive offense, but I don't know. It's, it's uh, particularly with a guy like Cam Jordan on the other line, I'm, I'm kind of worried about, how much time Murray has to throw. So he's, he's going to force at least, I think eight targets to Hopkins and maybe as many as like 14 or something. So I, I would want Hopkins in a showdown slate if I, making a lineup in that uh, probably going to be kind of chalky because his prices on DraftKings and FanDuel strike me as a little deflated. Like they're like, they're doing like a first game back kind of precautionary uh, lowering of his price, but it's like that, that would more be, that would be more, that would be more appropriate for like uh, a guy coming back from injury, not suspension. So he's physically fine. He's been practicing. I don't see any reason why he should start slow. No, I, I think that he's going to use it and come out, um, you know, firing on, on all cylinders. I'm excited to see him uh, back in the, back in the fold here. And, and obviously for, for the managers and best ball and season long that have been holding out through the first six weeks of the season, they're certainly happy to, to see him as an option in their lineups. As far as the, this Cardinals backfield goes, we, we know that injuries are just a big thing across both sides of this game, but the backfield uh, in particular in Arizona looks a little bit tricky. You know, you got James Conner listed as a game time decision, essentially with, with his rib issue, Darrell Williams already out. So you got guys like Eno Benjamin and Keontae Ingram that have kind of uh, put themselves on the radar a little bit. Any interest in those guys for, um, showdown or, or season long otherwise? Um, I might have missed something on Connor, but uh, it seems like he's being referred to as like a game time decision, but he didn't practice this week. So I don't know what to do with that. I would imagine that if he plays, it's he's going to be pretty limited and, you know, playing on a some kind of like pain killing injection or something. Uh, you know, Benjamin played 62 snaps last week. Keonta Ingram played, I think, uh, like seven. So it doesn't seem like they're going to put Ingram on the field unless Benjamin is totally gassed. And uh, I don't know. I don't think Benjamin's very good. So I, the idea of him having in the event that Connor is playing so many as like 20 snaps, I don't personally like the idea of Benjamin that much, but sometimes running back production doesn't come down to much more than just super incidental opportunities. And, uh, those things aren't dependent on talent or anything. So if, if Benjamin 
you know, he he's playing hurry up on some end of half drive where the, the, the Kyler Murray checks down three times and he gets like 40 yards on three catches. It's like, that's all it really takes for a guy like him to become a little useful, uh, even if it's kind of just like empty calorie production. Uh, but Connor be, I would much rather have Connor out before going with Eno Benjamin. But then again, with bye weeks and injuries, if even if Connor's active, if if you have to go with Benjamin, it's not worth like despairing about. And then uh, last question on the on the Arizona side, uh, with this game falling on a Thursday, and uh, maybe I'm not up on my gaming enough, but uh, that seemingly would fall outside the Call of Duty extra points weekend. So does that do anything right. for you when, when you're looking at, at Kyler? Yeah, I mean, uh, it is kind of funny, but I mean, the truth is, I don't know, a lot of players, I'm not going to say most, but like tons of players play those games and or even. Yeah, he he just gets to be the poster boy of it. That's why I'm, that's one of those things, too. Like, Kime's just a dirtbag. He's just a loser dirtbag. And. Uh, he put that language in that contract to, so he could be like, oh, see, a Kyler, a Kyler was bad. It's not my fault because he plays video games. It's not my that fault. That was pretty bad. I'm, yeah. I'm the guy who signed me to the contract. I wrote the thing, and I, I asked Kyler Murray to sign it. But if this doesn't work, you cannot blame me because it's, it's, it's only because he was playing video games if, if this doesn't work out. And it's like, man, maybe it didn't work out because the coach you hired sucks. Maybe it didn't work out because of you picking the wrong players year after year after year. Maybe one player on your team playing call of duty doesn't have anything to do with anything. And maybe if you think that like tossing that out there as some kind of an excuse makes you not just a dirt bag and a scoundrel, but just a stupid person to think anyone should believe. I mean, I'm, I'm embarrassed for anyone who heard that report and actually thought like, wow, that's why Kyler's bad. If they actually <laughs> believed that, why would they have even signed him to a contract? It's just scoundrel behavior. It's just kind of trying to lay an escape hatch for himself. Cause he's a dirt bag. But I, I think Kyler's still in a tough spot because this offense is just dead on arrival to me. I don't think you can compete in the NFL with an offense that does nothing to confuse defenses. If you make everything just like a one-on-one drill, you lose. Facts. So, uh, well, well said. Um, yeah, uh, I was, I don't know, just... Oh yeah, I know you're a little silly. Like, I, I, sorry, I was not. I was not trying to rant at you. It's just like I. I really feel like there's not enough media coverage of what a loser Kaim is. He's he's a he's a bad crappy guy. Yes, uh, it's it's rotten, stinky out there in Arizona. Um, before we get on over to the Sunday slate, a couple of good questions here in our comments section. If you're checking us out on YouTube, watching along, much appreciated. Brian wants to know: Would you drop? Uh, Michael Carter for Kyron Williams. Obviously, no. the Kyler stuff, but uh, you know it, it's a thing. I, I I don't think Kyron Williams is as bad as his combine would lead us to believe. I mean, he was you know a fairly hyped guy uh, pre combine. I don't think he's. I mean, the combine shows he's not the toolsiest guy in the world, but I, I think he can be like an effective you know change of pace type of guy. But I just don't really feel all that confident in this uh, in this Rams offense right now, and let alone the run game. Whereas Carter, obviously been frustrating. Brees Hall is, is really ascending. Um, so I don't know. What, what do you think here? I'd keep Carter. I mean, Kyron Williams, he was a player I was low on going into the combine. So when the combine came around, I was just completely wrote him off. Uh, I think Ronnie Rivers is better than Kyron Williams, but ah. I think the more important point is what you were saying, that the, the Rams, they're just flailing right now. They have no idea what they're doing. They're, 
they don't have any plan. They just have a series of like desperate moves. And uh, that's not traditionally how you fix the kind of problems that they have. So I think the Rams are completely toast. I don't think there's anything they can do about it. I think Kyron Williams would need to be in a very good offense where the, the difficulty level is very low to even approach average outcomes. So if, if, if there's no pie to begin with, and if he's splitting it with Daryl Henderson and Malcolm Brown and Ronnie Rivers, I think it's just everybody's going to be depressed with any of those options. Yeah, I still got an axe to grind with the Rams for making me pick the Panthers last week. Just I thought you were going to say for cutting Jake Funk. Oh, uh, well, I mean, that, that uh, of course, is stupid. Did he get picked up by the Saints or something? Uh, somebody claimed him, but uh, I just thought, I mean, thought you'd I, have your I, Maryland boys back more than that. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I do. Um, that that was obviously um, y- yet another uh, personnel uh, misstep, misfire. I do think... I think Funk is better than uh, Williams, though. So I, I think, uh, I think the Rams cutting. Not that it matters. I mean, none of them are going to be anything. But it's, it's. I think that was the Rams kind of just being like, oh, we got to shake it up. We don't really know why we're shaking it up. We don't know what we expect to improve exactly. But we got to shake it up for the sake of shaking it up. Got to. Even if shaking it up means dropping the Funk, uh, foolish, foolish behavior. Not um, as good of a. Not as good as usually dropping the Funk is. No, usually that's like a, a can't miss type of maneuver. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Fam first wants to know: Would you start Terry McLaurin or Rashad Bateman this week, and also Daniel Bellinger or Cade Otten? Uh, yeah. Sorry, I have to ask. John is Bateman even a lock to return so, yet? Uh, um, I would so go with he, McLaurin. He, I think he way. did practice uh, oh, okay. on Wednesday. That's good. Um, yeah, that that's a positive sign certainly, and I don't want to say like Bateman has no shot. If, most people who have Bateman, if he's active, should probably play him. But I would go with McLaurin. I'm I'm not even I don't personally believe that Carson Wentz is better than Heineke. I, I just no. I don't see any evidence for that. Nope, I, I don't either. So I'm I'm going uh, scary Terry as well. Um, oh, the, I would probably go Bellinger at the tight end, but I I have no strong feelings on that. Okay, even with Otten going up against Carolina. I mean, I like Otten. I think he's clearly better than Cam Brait, but I don't I don't know why the Buccaneers haven't just rolled with him in all this time. I mean, they made him like a blocking specialist for the first month or five weeks. And it took Brait getting hurt two times for them to give Otten any routes. Uh, he, he'll do well, I think, with routes, but I, I just don't know what you can count on with them, whereas the Giants have to roll out Bellinger. Yeah, that that's true, and and Bellinger ran more routes uh, that than Otten did a week ago. Uh, Otten's picture on on RotoWire is also kind of funny. He's like, he's good. I mean, I don't. Again, I have no idea why the Buccaneers are using him that way. He's not even supposed to be a blocker. He's like a two hundred and forty eight pound tight end who specifically stood out as a receiver at Washington. So uh, maybe, yeah, we just we, we can never count on teams to do what I think are so often obviously right ways of handling certain players. But if the Buccaneers wake up on Otten, I think they will have found a, a good player right, you know, laying right in front of them all this time. Yeah. That, no, I think that that was a good pick. Um, yeah. I think it's just fair at, at this particular stage that Bellinger uh, probably the, the better play. It's not like he has a bad ma- matchup either with, with uh, the giants going down to Duval facing the Jaguars. Um, Let's see. We'll get one more here uh, for now. Uh, Jason wants to know, uh, flex one of the following in PPR. Uh, Jeff Wilson Jr., Romeo Dobbs, 
Bijan or Brian Robinson. Sorry, Bijan next year. Next Bijan, year, Bijan. Go with him. Um, I, I would start Bijan uh, in an yeah. NFL game right now. Uh, I think he'd do just fine. Or Alec Pierce. So I'm the wrong person to ask about Brian Robinson. I think he's just awful. Uh, he does have a good matchup, I guess. So maybe he can do something with that. But I, I don't know. I, don't, I really don't think he can play at all. Uh, it's, that is Jeff, I think, right? Yeah. Okay, so, um, sorry, who do they got again? I, uh, I, uh, they have the man, Chiefs. I, I think I think they can run on the Chiefs. I think the uh, Chiefs. They can. can. Run. I mean, uh, like the question asked, uh, the, the questioner points out that if there's that worry about what if Mahomes happens, um, and. Uh, <laughs> then they don't run so much perhaps. Uh, but I, I like the matchup. Like you said, I think they can run if they there's running that they can do. Man, this is tough. Uh, I'm sorry to drag this out. Um, and, and Pierce is, is a really good player too, I think. So I don't, I don't want to just skip him, but God, I think I would go with Jeff Wilson. Um, but man, I, I, yeah, I admittedly don't have any good grip on that one. Yeah, it's it's definitely a tricky one there, Jason. But uh, I, I think Wilson w- would be my my pick um, as well. I think that you know Kansas City, it, it's a little bit like shocking to the eye to see that they are underdogs in this one, especially after the way that the uh, the Niners played last week. But I don't know. Uh, I think that you you can kind of take that as a sense that maybe the Niners do keep this one uh, pretty close. And, and I think those Chiefs are the type of scripts. No, they they yeah they hundred percent do, and that that's you know dating back well before the the Bills game, of course. Um, but I thought they basically played well enough to win that one, but uh, you know they don't have they, the ammo that they used to. They just didn't do anything to to fix that problem. So this is what you get. No, no not in any uh, meaningful way. Um, before we get on over to our Sunday slate, we got a message from our friends over at Blue Wire. They present all of our podcasts here. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right. Heading over to Sunday. We'll start things off with the big crab cake, Mario. We got the Ravens. We got the Browns. An AFC Norse divisional matchup here. Uh, Ravens six and a half point favorites in this one. I can't trust the Ravens with that many points right now. No, Greg Roman show. Greg Roman show. Um, it's bad. I mean, it's bad. You know, the J.K. Dobbins issue is, I don't know, it, it just doesn't feel like he's 100%. He started to look like it again against Cincinnati, I felt like. And then obviously last week it was a step backwards. And, it, you know, I think he would have crushed 
against the Giants. I mean, if Kenyon Drake is running for 120 yards on the Giants, what do you think J.K. Dobbins is doing? But um, it so I think this sets up well for Kenyon Drake if Dobbins is out or, you know, I would even consider uh, consider Drake even if Dobbins is active, although you do need to pay attention to the fact that Justice Hill is back to a full participant. And he, he ran extremely well, I thought, this year. Uh, prior to his hamstring injury so that it could end up being kind of an ugly mix in that Baltimore backfield but I think the the ground game is what you want to target here because the the Browns are just so, such a sieve against the run right now yeah I just have so much trouble believing in Kenyon Drake because what he had like three big plays last week and before that he hadn't produced in like two years uh so I don't know I, I would if Justice Hill is active, I would almost sooner go to him if I had to pick from those two. Uh, Dobbins's knee tightening up, uh, that to me alone is grounds for saying the Browns cover because I I don't know what you can do with this offense. Uh, like if, if, if you, especially if Bateman's not back, I mean, I guess if Bateman's back, that, that changes it a little bit, but like, even even though I don't think Joe Woods is any good as the defensive coordinator for the Browns, this might be such poor running personnel that the Ravens have that maybe the Cleveland run defense doesn't have like bottom five results this week. And if they don't, if they don't specifically have like bottom five results in the run defense, that alone means the Ravens are in trouble to me because I, uh, Lamar can go Lamar. And, and if that happens, there's not much most defenses can do about it. But if Cleveland can hold up in the run game without leaving themselves vulnerable against the pass, that's all it really takes to shut down this offense, or at least it reduces it to an offense where Lamar Jackson has to just run like crazy to beat you, which again, he can do it sometimes, but he can't do it every week. And last week is what happens when it's like Lamar can't single-handedly win for you. And I know there's people like, oh, he played bad. Don't you know, he can't even criticize him for one game. It's like, I can't. I don't have enough time to explain to people who don't actually care to pay attention, like what the background information is with this team. But when you have Demarcus Robinson playing every snap, you're playing 10 on 11. And when you're playing 10 on 11, bad things start to happen. And it's not the fault of the player. Who's the only one good enough to do anything about it. It's like, that's not his fault. So it's in, in Greg Roman. Again, he, it's not, it's not as bad as like Cliff Kingsbury or Joe Lombardi, but Greg Roman is super predictable. They're, are only a few things he can do out of a given look. So it's like if the run game is working with the Ravens, that's that's when Roman can pass for a decent offensive coordinator because it opens up certain things, it sets up certain uh, pass variations from those run looks, and it's difficult to defend both at the same time. But when they go into a passing game, a pure passing attack, they have like four looks they can give you. And they all tend to just end up reducing to force the ball to Mark Andrews or Lamar Jackson mm-hmm. has to just run for you. So when you're that limited, when, when, when defenses only have to prepare for basically like two or three outcomes in a given play, it doesn't matter who's playing. It's not going to work. I don't know why we have to go over this so many times when, you know, you see Tom Brady, his last year with the Patriots, when he had like the Jacoby Myers, uh, what was it? Uh, like Ryan Izzo offense. Like, oh, he looks like he's completely dead. And then he goes to Tampa Bay where he has three good receivers and he throws 45 touchdowns the next year or something. There are some offenses that are just completely insolvent and the Ravens become one of those when the ground game doesn't work. So 
I'm concerned about that, especially because I think Nick Chubb is infallible, and I think he'll he can stomp anybody, especially a Ravens defense that isn't that good and might find mm-hmm. itself a bit gassed if if the Ravens can't keep control on offense. No, the the Ravens have, in my opinion, like a pretty decent defensive line. I think their linebacking core is one of the worst in Queen football. Sucks. So, yeah, Queen is sucks. very bad. Uh, what a what a what a waste of a pick, SMH. Uh, yeah. You know, and Malik Harrison, he's playing, but. Uh, that's about all you can say, uh, for, for him. Uh, so yeah, no, it's, it's not a particularly good, uh, run defense. Uh, I think the past defense is starting to, to come along and obviously like we're not expecting Jacoby Brissett to really test it one way or the other. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've seen Chubb run on better Ravens defenses before I could certainly see, you know, Chubb pushing for a hundred yards yet again in, in this one. And then, you know, by extension, I think this one ends up being close. I, I think I have this one as Baltimore by a field goal. Yeah, fair enough. I, uh, I I do think, though, having a good pass defense is largely something that goes to waste against the Browns. It's like, unless you can somehow use your surplus coverage resources to turn it into a reliable run defense, and not just reliable, like, really good, however, whatever level of good it takes to slow Chubb, uh, which even then probably requires luck to, I don't know, I... I Lamar constantly ends up in these positions where he has to just single-handedly win games. And it's like, you can't, can't do that for more than a couple weeks a year. And and they just, they're about to go on a month straight of that nonsense. Yeah. Pretty, pretty uh, bleak times uh, there in the charm city. I haven't seen any of this coming by the way. I'm not really particularly enjoying it, Um, but we digress. We move on. Um, Let's see here. Uh, We got bucks. Panthers, uh, yet another big spread uh, in a Panthers game, and, and another big spread for the Bucks to to be covering on the road. They obviously fell short last week in Pittsburgh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they're they're uh, they got some real problems, and it's uh, yeah when when Bulls is like blaming players in the press conference, it's like, and I don't I don't know they they got they got some big issues and. Uh, Maybe Brady's divorce and missed uh, practice time really has hurt them. I don't know. Perhaps, um, but either way, you know the the results are kind of speaking for themselves. Uh, you know they they the the Steelers are not a good team this year, and the there's no excuse for the Buccaneers not just to to not cover eight points like that. That's one thing to do against a Tomlin team, but to lose straight up to to that bunch. Full pretty, practice squad uh, secondary. Yeah, just. Mm. What's what's going on there? But you know, on the other side, I think we have what is probably the the worst team in football. That's the Carolina Panthers. So can they put up enough of a fight? Or are we taking the bait uh, on that many points? Are we backing the Panthers again? <laughs> um, Maybe yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's uh, so many points for a team that basically got blanked by. Uh, Mike Tomlin's practice squad. Um, man, I don't know. Uh, is it going to be PJ Walker again? I guess it is. I believe so. Yes. All right. So I think Kenny Pickett's pretty bad. Uh, Mitch Trubisky, of course, is pretty bad too. But I don't know if there's a single team in the league that could look bad against PJ Walker. Uh, like PJ Walker was not a very good. He was okay 
at Temple, I guess, but he had that one big year, which in hindsight was just because of Robbie Anderson just kind of mossing uh, AAC defenses or whatever the conference was at the time. And um, in the NFL, he's he, he fell apart after Robbie Anderson got kicked out of Temple. And in the NFL, it's just been 100% disaster tape. So, yeah, I'll take the Buccaneers to cover just because it's like there's there's no Mike Tomlin coaching the Panthers either, you know. Yeah, and you know the the Panthers made that game interesting for at least a little bit last week by uh, having that pick six. I don't think Brady's throwing a pick six in this one, so I, I just don't really envision this Panthers team to be to be able to cobble up more than like ten points. So kind of a similar logic uh, is is what I used for the the Bucks Steelers game last week, but I think the the Panthers are, are a, a tier down even still uh, for, from this Steelers team. So. Yeah. Um, I, I'll, I'll, I'll back the bucks here. If I can get it at 10 and a half instead of 11, um, I will. So shop around. I know there's some differences, um, across different spots. Um, anyone that you can start, uh, on the Panthers side, other than Christian McCaffrey. I don't think so. Uh, nope. I don't, I don't either. I don't think so. DJ Moore come to the Ravens. Yeah, DJ Moore, I guess. Like, if he, if, I don't, I'm not blaming anyone for benching him, but it or starting him, but yeah, the, only him. Otherwise, yeah, it's it's uh, it's no bueno. Um, let's see here. Uh, Matt commented earlier during our uh, Cliff discussion that uh, he's an Eagles fan, and uh, that this reminds him uh, that the way that this has gone reminds him a little bit of the uh, Chip Kelly experience for, from a, cu- a few years I mean, ago. There, there definitely are some parallels. Yeah, just the college coach thing, though, to me, because Chip's problem was that he couldn't work with people. Chip had good football ideas, and he still does, but he's just such a it's weird crazy. guy. It, it, I, I, mean, I thought he'd guy. be a failure at UCLA um, because of the, the way that recruiting has changed. But, man, yeah. look at them. They beat Utah. They got, they're going back up to Eugene this weekend. Chip <sighs> had again. NFL success initially. Cliff has never had success. And I think, yeah. like, it's, it's – uh, it started with Deshaun Jackson, then LaShawn McCoy, but kind of like one by one, Chip went alienating everybody on the Eagles roster until eventually no one wanted to play for him. And then, uh, yeah, it was, was it the 40, was the 49ers a team? That, didn't he have another head coaching job? I can't remember. Uh, he, I know he was bad wherever he was at the end of the NFL there, but, um, he, he, was it, was he it him, them, John, then Tom Sula? I don't know. I, 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 I might be, line just, succession, I might've had a dream in my fevered state. And, and made that up but uh i think uh yeah but cliff's problem i actually see him as like the anti-chip kelly because he's like uh he, he seems to charm people and then when they they fall for the charm and it's like okay let's see that cool offense you got there cliff it's just a bunch of four wide slants over and over whereas chip he's he's almost like too smart for his own good to the point that he like he forgot that the players matter and he thought he was like the only thing that mattered or something. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, that's a, that's a good summation. And you obviously uh, had your druthers uh, from the college ranks uh, just a few years ago. So you remember uh, peak chip, of course, and uh, Kingsbury um, as well. So Oregon football. I mean, they weren't much without, but before he got there and he made them a powerhouse. Exactly. Uh, although what vi- visions Cliff, of uh, NCAA two thousand three in the Big Twelve with Pat Mahomes? <laughs> yeah, woof. Um, let's see here. Uh, da, da, da. 
Uh, Joe wants to know uh, if it was smart to pick up Elijah Moore off of waivers. I say yes. Yeah, I mean, the Jets got some big problems. They have to bench Zach Wilson. He can't play. I don't know. Maybe he'll get better someday. But last week was one of the worst quarterback tapes I've ever seen. Zach Wilson is just an abomination right now. And the Jets are making things worse on themselves by giving all their slot routes to Garrett Wilson. Like, how the hell are you taking, like, a top 10 pick to play slot receiver only? I mean, his whole thing was he was supposed to be a big play downfield threat. And now you have Elijah Moore running the most out, the outermost routes, drawing all the top corners, even though he's smaller than Garrett Wilson. It's like, Elijah Moore was raking last year. Even with Wilson playing, he was doing pretty well. And I, I think Garrett's a good player who's going to be better in, in, you know, next year, the year after that than he is now. But he's not as good as Elijah Moore. Their passing offense is worse than it was last year. These are all things that I think I would have predicted if I knew they were going to run it this way. If they told, if they told me, like, oh, yeah, we're going to give Wilson all the routes that we gave to Moore last year, and Moore's going to be uh, just idling on the boundary against the top corner against every team, I would have said, like, oh, I don't know about that. But you might want to th- think that one through a little more. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're getting like 6.5 yards per pass at like 57% completed with those receivers. Even if Zach Wilson sucks, that's just like bewildering to me. So, uh, Flacco sucks too, I guess, but the way I see it, if the jets decide to use Elijah Moore like they did last year, instead of giving all those routes to Garrett Wilson, Moore goes off, but, uh, they are a bad team for a reason. And it's uh, largely because they have poor judgment. Counterpoint jets are rolling, baby. Right. Yeah. I mean, Brees Hall. Uh, so that, like they're a good they're almost like a, the, the AFC uh, analog to what the Falcons would be the closest thing to it, because I, I actually think Arthur Smith is a pretty good coach, uh, even if we don't like the fantasy results he sometimes gives us. Uh, whereas the Jets, they're they're more just kind of like dumbly stumbling into it. Like they're just kind of like their defense is picked up pretty good. Quinn and Williams is a, is a maniac. And uh, Brees Hall it is a run game in himself. So it's like, you have a pretty good defense. You have a pretty good run game that can make up for a bad quarterback, but what can't make up for a bad quarterback is just throwing more with them. So you got these analytics fools who are, who are just, I shouldn't say analytics fools, a very particular set of interests within the so-called analytics community who, who try to call them, try to declare themselves representatives for analytics at large. These people say, you just got to throw more. You got to stop running. You got to stop investing in running backs. You got to stop investing in running games. That's all stuff that's true if you're not trying to compete. But if you want to win games with a Zach Wilson quarterback, you got to run the ball. You got to play defense and you got to hide the quarterback, not expose them more. And uh, I don't know if the Jets are learning any lessons as far as that goes, but the the cause of their success is pretty clear. And uh, it's, it's all because of Hall and the defense. So why don't we, in the interest of of keeping this conversation rolling, uh, let's break down the, this Jets um, Broncos game uh, next because the the spread has changed a decent bit. At the the public money was pouring in on the Jets earlier this week when they were plus three. Now they're uh, down to like a plus half point, so yeah. close to a pick 'em. Yeah, I hate uh, so. the Broncos, or I hate Hackett, obviously, but even I was surprised to see the, the Jets' optimism there. It's like, this Denver defense is sick. I, I still haven't learned the guy's name. Their defensive coordinator is doing a great job. They have a bit of talent on defense, but not as not so much that it would dictate the, the actual success that they've had. They're just Their defensive approach is strong, and uh, it's going to stay strong. And like I was saying, Zach Wilson doesn't just look bad. He looks 
as bad as anyone I can remember, basically. Like, he looks like he wants to quit. He looks like he thinks he sucks, and he just doesn't want to deal with it anymore. Uh, he, he, like, checked out last week. Like, there were just plays where you could just – you almost saw him working through the reads and just kind of having it occur to him, like, I can't do this. Like, I, 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 I don't even want to do this anymore. Uh, so, with a quarterback like that against a defense like the Bron- – and, by the way, the Broncos defense is quite a bit better than the Jets one. The Jets just – they have two star players who have made a couple big plays. And when they don't have Ahmad Gardner making big plays, and when they don't have Quinn and Williams single-handedly just devouring the pocket, then what they have left is mostly just a bunch of, not nobodies, but no one that you care about, really. So, so uh, for, forgive me for potentially not paying attention these last couple of years, but had Quinn and Williams really started to do much before this year? So this is something I've been writing in the the year. So the the Red Wire magazine, I had to write the IDP stuff for however long I've been around at Red Wire. Um, and every year I've been writing like, oh, Quinn and Williams looks like he's really gonna break out because his first snap numbers have been elite basically the entire time in the NFL. But his snap counts were always contained at like 30, 35 snaps a game, which was puzzling because like you drafted this guy in the top five. He's a total monster why not let him play more? Why, why, why would you take your best player off the field? I don't understand that at all. And it's not like he's a, he's not one dimensional. It's like he's killer against the run and he'll collapse the pocket as a pass rusher. He's not a situational player unless you just decide to make him one. And you saw that fight that he had with Jeff Ulbrich uh, a month ago, right? Where uh, you, you did, did you see this John? Yeah. Oh, okay. So to me, this was like an amazing thing. Uh, Quinn and Williams, looked like he was about to just kill Jeff Ulbrich on the sideline with the Jets. And it was because all like Williams was apparently going up to him. and was like, put me on the field, stop rotating me out. And Ulbrich was going like, you're not in good enough shape. You can't handle it or something. And Williams like Ulbrich should be lucky. He should feel lucky that he's alive. Cause Williams, <laughs> Williams like erupted in a way that he, he has never shown that kind of temper before. It is like, it was like a classic case of like, don't like, you know, rattling some guy's cage way too much and, and learning that he has a side that you didn't think he did. And they see after he, after he put the fear of God into Jeff Ulbrich, it seems like they're playing him a bit more and look at what happens last week. He took over that game. He, he killed the Packers offense. So Quinn and Williams getting more playing time quite simply means that he goes from a highly efficient 600 snap player to one of the one of the most productive uh, in a volume sense, one of the most productive defensive players in the league. He's a total monster, and he's something the Broncos do have to worry about. I mean, their offensive line is battered, and and it might not have been that great to start with. I happen to think it was good to start with, but you know, without Bowles, uh, it's somebody else who was hurt too. I thought, but I can't remember who. Um, Williams could be a problem, but if they neutralize Williams, then the only other problem is Ahmad Gardner. Just don't throw at him. So that's that's how I see it. Uh, but the other thing is the the Denver defense versus the Jets offense is just you know they even if they only kick field goals, I think the Broncos win this game. Dang. Okay. Yeah. Because I I think that the, there's the combination uh, at least my my read on on how the betting market sh- has shaped up for this one where it's like there there's a little bit of optimism on the Jets the way they've played the, the last couple of weeks and then I, I think. <laughs> Just kind of getting clockwork oranged into watching the Broncos every single week. It's like, well, I know for sure that they're bad. 
They are, uh, but they they do have a better defense than the Jets do, I think. And as much as I, you know, clowning on Russell Wilson all year, he's a lot better than Zach Wilson. And I, it, you know, I don't want to have to admit that, but it's true. Uh, yeah, through through gritted teeth, indeed. Um, but yeah, no, I think that 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 might end up being the sharp play. Uh, I hate backing the Broncos. Um, I. I absolute torture chamber scenario for me on this past Monday night, taking the chargers and survivor. Uh, but, um, you know, chargers I mean, are- I, I gotta say, I think Hackett's Broncos are maybe the most entertaining because they keep blowing it. They're just about the most entertaining team I've ever seen because the, the depths of despair that they go into is it's like Shakespearean almost or something like, it's just crazy. the, the let the number of letdowns that there are with him is like over and over going through the games is like, Oh, they looks like the Broncos are going to eke it out. You know, they're going to, they're going to maybe do this. And then somehow they keep blowing it. And it's, it's beautiful. I will say, uh, Greg Dulcich, he might be an okay player. I don't really have a strong opinion on him. He's, he's a, you know, acceptable third round pick, whatever. Uh, I keep seeing a lot of people talking about how great he was in that game. And, I got to question the the football judgment. The, the I got to question whether they even so much as watched any of those plays. J.C. Jackson just ran the wrong coverage. They were calling a cover three, and J.C. Jackson ran with man coverage and followed his guy to the middle of the field when he was supposed to stay on the defense's left, the offense's right. And if he had, and if Wilson had thrown that pass, it's an interception. And Dulcich the rest of the game had a five yard catch. So that's with them trying to make the whole offense about him. They, they didn't even run any of the concepts in the prior weeks that they ran in that game. Greg Dulcich didn't pass block once in that game. You can't find a single instance of any other Denver tight ends this year going an entire game without pass blocking. Once it didn't happen. Nate Hackett sabotaged Albert Oquegwinum and held back on the playbook, depriving them of play, not just, not just not even running the concepts in the first place, he kept Okwegwinum out of those Saubert routes because he didn't want to have the public uh, narrative established about Okwegwinum being a good tight end. He needed to keep him from producing because if uh, Albert Okwegwinum had produced, then his little his his short shorts uh, poodle boy tight end wouldn't have been able to get on the field. And Hackett's entire deal this year was about I got to get my epic tight end on the field, my short shorts curly boy. I got to get him on the field, and that's. That's one of the most egregious. Uh, it's not even incompetence. It's like almost malicious. And he, he's like sabotaging Oquegwinum's career. I know for a fact that the previous coaches loved that guy. And I know that their input influenced the decision to trade Noah Fant. Hackett arrives and just says, I, I can't let him on the field because he'll get in the way of my stupid little pet project. That he alone hasn't is seen Anchorman enough Hackett. times. Sorry, what? Alberto hasn't seen Anchorman enough times. Can't quote it enough. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, to, to be, I, I know I keep talking about that too. Hackett being a just a corny goofball that he is, but um, it really was just that Hackett just looked at Dulcich and, and thought like, oh, this is epic. I gotta get him on the. I gotta get this this short shorts Chuck Norris uh, epic bacon uh, fake tight end on the field. Because that's that's just I'm, I'm just I'm just flummoxed. I can't I can't I can't I can't I'm smitten with this guy. I, I can't I can't shake the thought of him. I'm, I'm putting all I'm pinning all my hopes on him, and I'll do whatever it takes to make it happen. 
like that's that's I, I I've never seen anything like it, and uh, he he should be fired. He will be fired. I I really hope it's soon. Um, but I will say the people who invest in Dulcich uh, better they they should understand that when when Hackett gets fired, the epic short shorts boy is over. Well, uh, confession. I, I'll still get a chuckle out of a Chuck Norris joke once in a while. It's it's okay. It's they 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 weren't that bad before it you know got out of hand and, and <laughs> became uh, the basis of a certain internet culture. Yep, yep. But oh man, a um, couple uh, questions here. Um, this guy wants to know: uh, Should he trade for uh, Camara for either? Jalen Waddle or Amon Ross St. Brown? I wouldn't. No, I, I would not either. Um, let's see here. Uh, CD Smitty wants to know, should he start DJ Moore, Garrett Wilson, or Jahan Dotson? Oh, man. Um... If Wilson's not getting the Sertan coverage, I think it's, I think it's Wilson. Oh, man, that's so tough for me because I do think Garrett Wilson will get open okay. It's just he was the, the times that he got open last week, Zach Wilson would just miss. He just he just throw something awful. And uh, I'm worried about that continuing here. I'm not I'm not thinking Dotson. Uh, it comes down to more for me versus Garrett Wilson. And I don't know. I think I might go more. But feeling not the ranking the rankings back you out on this like pretty pretty significantly it's, it's, um i can't make a meaningful distinction you know because garrett it's like who who deals with worse quarterback play between the two of them i don't even know oh oof. uh tough but fair uh when it comes to old, old zach wilson um we do have another uh dj Moore question popular guy in in the fantasy discourse this week wandale robinson or dj Moore. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Now we're cooking. Um, <laughs> I, uh, man, I think, okay. So the problem is I'm pretty sure, <coughs> excuse me. Um, I think, uh, Wandale did not actually play that many snaps. Cause, uh, yeah, he only played 14 snaps last week. So, yeah, um, and he ran routes on four of them. Yeah. I mean, it's stupid that the giants, are doing this David Sills offense with and Richie James. I know he's, He's a likable player, but just bench him. He's a backup, you know. Just Wandale is supposed to be the good version of whatever James might be, and uh, I, I think Wandale will play more snaps this week. But I, I, I'd still have to go with more. I know that that's one of those, you know, it's a it's a real week seven uh, type of question when things haven't been going particularly well for one of the guys that you invested pretty highly in uh, during draft season. Before we get on over to our next game of which we have many, uh, we got a message from our friends over at No House Advantage. No House Advantage is changing the game by offering the most dynamic fantasy sports platform available today. Play in pick'em contests versus other people for the shot at winning big cash prizes. Download the app, choose a contest, select your players, earn points for correct picks, and climb the leaderboard for your shot at hundreds of thousands of dollars every week. You can also test your skills versus the house and 20x your entry if you hit all your picks. Bet on up to five player prop over-unders and, or individual matchups across every major sports league, including NFL, NBA, 
MLB, PGA, MMA, and NASCAR. Sign up now with promo code NHAWIRE. That's N-H-A-W-I-R-E at nohouseadvantage.com or download the app or go to the apps or on the app stores and get a first deposit match up to $25. Make sure to check out No House Advantage today and experience your daily fantasy sports redefined because it's not just how you play, but also where you play. You won't want to miss out on this. We also got a message from our friends over at Play With Swagger. There are 50 million fantasy sports players and sports bettors in the U.S., but 90% of all the cash prizes are only won by 2% of the players. That's because most sports gaming options were created for pros. You know, the dudes dropping loads of cash on data to find an edge over the rest of us. Not Swagger. Swagger is a daily fantasy sports site created for sports fans who simply want some skin in the game and a real shot at winning. Tired of losing because of one bad pick? With Swagger, you don't need to be perfect to win. You simply create a ticket of 4 to 10 simple player props and score points for the ones you get right. Your score determines your win, not the perfect ticket. You can be half right and be all right with Swagger. Swagger offers the most player props and biggest payouts of any DFS site, as much as 50 times your money. Plus, you can play fantasy football along with all the other major U.S. pro sports, as well as international soccer, Formula One, NASCAR, fight sports, rugby, cricket, and even esports. Ready to play? Visit playwithswagger.com slash rotowire to sign up, and Swagger will give you $10 free to try them out, plus match your first deposit up to $100, and that's a full 100% uh, deposit match, by the way. Swagger, daily fantasy for all fan kind. All right, we keep things rolling here. Uh, all right, we got to pick up our pace slightly here. Falcons, right. Bengals, no, all good, all worthwhile content there. Um, but maybe we just won't spend a ton of time on on Titans, Colts, or something. Um, Falcons, Bengals, Bengals, six and a half point favorites. Falcons, well noted cover machines. They covered again this past weekend, much to my chagrin. I really did like the Niners in that spot, but. What happens here? How do they how do they uh, fare up in Cincy? How lucky are you feeling, John? Do you, you want to <laughs> bet against the six and zero against the spread Falcons? Honestly, uh, hell no. I'm on the Falcons. Yeah, I mean, dude, this this is six and a half points. The Bengals' offense to me is still not fixed. So, Mm-mm. I mean, I think Dean Pease is doing a pretty good job. I don't know why the Falcons' defense, as much as you know, it's it's Arthur Smith who immediately comes to mind. I don't know why the Falcons are getting the defensive results that they are either. Uh, they're not strong exactly, but they should be one of the very worst, and they don't seem to be quite that. So I'm not totally convinced that the the Bengals' offense can look smooth against anybody right now because it's it's not nearly as bad, or I don't know, it might be about as bad. Uh, the predictability thing with Cliff Kingsbury, with Joe Lombardi, there's something like that going on with the Bengals offense. And I think even more than the offensive line, that's their problem. It's like a lot of offensive lines can start looking worse when defenses know your exact rhythm, uh, the exact, uh, uh, exact like sequences rhythms that you go through as an offense. It's like, it makes it easier to to even like jump snaps and stuff like that. You can just, you can kind of just start playing a little faster all of a sudden when you don't have to think so much. And against the Bengals, you don't have to think. It's just kind of like 
I hope Jamar Chase doesn't beat me on this play, but you don't have to worry about like the variety of the routes or like where he's going to, the depths don't alter that much. There's not pre-snap motion to, to make you pause and wonder what they're up to. There's, there's nothing like that. So uh, meanwhile, the, the Bengals run game has been pretty much dead all year. If, if the Bengals go into this game as one dimensional, just unable to run, needing to pass, but having no deception or, or tricks for a passing game, they, they can kind of just keep underachieving. I think they'll win, but the six and a half points, I mean, do you, especially with the, when we, when we, uh, sorry, when the Falcons have the ball, we know they're going to try to sit on it. They're going to try to run. They're going to try to gain field position over the course of the game. And they're content to eat up a lot of clock as they do it. And said, holding onto the ball, running out the clock that can largely explain how they cover so well. It's just the, the game shortens. So even if they're the worst team, they don't, uh, the other team doesn't create as much distance as they would if they ran another 15 plays. Right. So that they're going to keep this close. Uh, I do like the, the Falcons a good bit um, in this one. Uh, any Anything uh, fantasy-wise to expect on this Falcons side, That aside from kind of what we've grown accustomed to these, these last few weeks? I actually like Kyle Pitts' chances of keeping it going a bit. Let's because go. The, the, like I was talking about before, a couple weeks ago, I guess it must have been, um, I thought that, that things would get, eventually open up in the passing game a little bit because Marcus Mariota and the ground game were working so well. And um, although there's it's, it's considered sharp analysis nowadays to just talk about how stupid it is to run the ball or whatever, defenses can't function if they can't stop the run. Uh, if you if you're giving up reliable first downs on the ground and and you just never get the ball back to your offense, you're eventually just going to get fired as a defensive coordinator. So you have to stop the run, and to stop the run, you either need a massive personnel advantage in the front four. Uh, you know, if, if you can stop the run without trying to, basically, that's that's great. But if you're not succeeding anyway, you have to put another man down there, and you need to get bigger personnel on the field, something like that. So teams going forward can either keep watching the Falcons run the way they have, or they can try to defend them differently than they've been defended to this point. And to this point, it's almost no doubt uh, Kyle Pitts and maybe even Drake London too, were the bigger concerns to defenses. They were just like, Oh, those two are their stars. We got to make sure they don't beat us. And then they get beat by Mariota and Algier and Caleb Huntley of all people. So you don't want to be the team that loses to Caleb Huntley. So you start defending the run a little more and then you're not defending Kyle Pitts as much as before. And then something changes. And so uh, this is a good setting, I think, for Pitts to really get going. I'm I'm all the way. Uh, Either that or that. the Falcons run wild again because the Bengals, uh, you know, sold out to stop Pitts. But it's like <laughs> that hasn't worked for teams against the Falcons to this point. No, it really hasn't. The Falcons have been uh, a plucky, plucky bunch there. Uh, let's go Lions Cowboys Cowboys they get Dak Prescott back uh, obviously very easy uh, decision for them uh, kind of made uh, Sunday night with, with Cooper Rush turning back into uh, Cooper Rush uh, so Dak ready to roll uh, the Lions coming off the bye still have the worst defense in football um, you know that I think what we learned over these uh, last few weeks without Dak Prescott is that this Cowboys defense is is legit legit uh, I am interested to see how the Lions and their offensive line holds up. I think that they might hold up a little bit better than some of the Cowboys' opposition to this point, but I, I still am not convinced that it will fully matter. And I think that the Cowboys, I think their offense will look better, obviously, than than it did against the Bucks in Week One before 
uh, Dak was injured, and certainly the Lions can kind of help along with that one. So what, what do you expect here? Uh, yeah, so the Eagles kind of were a foil to the, to the Cowboys just for the fact that their offensive line is so good and maybe the best in the league. The Lions' offensive line is, to me, a pretty close or maybe just as good as the, the Eagles' offensive line. So it's kind of interesting to think through what that means for the, the Lions' offense, or rather, I guess, more so the Dallas defense, because we've seen them dominate for the most part this year. They didn't so much last week. Like, they had they had a couple moments or whatever, but they didn't really get a – they certainly didn't get any sort of, like, stranglehold on the Eagles' offense at any point. And then when you look through their earlier schedule, most of the big games for the Dallas pass rush – we're against offensive lines that now we can say in hindsight were just terrible. Like not to take credit away from the Dallas performances in those games, like they they took advantage of it. But those offensive lines were crap, like among the very worst in the league. So if the Lions aren't that, then it, it, it at least kind of raises like a something has to give kind of scenario here. But unfortunately for the Lions, I don't know if Goff is good enough to to do anything with that. Like. Jalen Hurts and Shane Steichen with receivers like A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. Very different question from what the Lions have to work with. So I can kind of imagine it being a – I don't know. I don't know whether I think the Lions can run on the Dallas defense that well, uh, but I don't expect the Lions to just get, like, wrecked by the pass rush. It would have to be more, I guess, like – just kind of like sluggish three and out drives or, you know, moving the ball a little bit and punting, but I can't really see Goff just getting like blindsided over and over. Uh, but just the same, it could get out of hand for the Lions because Dak Prescott versus their defense is a huge right. mismatch. So that's, I guess, how it would end up going wrong for the Lions offense is like they, they have to start pressing to catch up. And it's like, well, your quarterback's Jared Goff. So what do you expect to happen when that comes up? Good luck. Um, any would you start Swift this week if you if you had him hold up, held on to him? I'm sorry. Is he has he been? He was oh, he limited on Wednesday. Yeah. So um, he is interesting because I what they got to do is get him and Hawkinson going because uh, yeah, it's it's a uh, if you can somehow keep Parsons if Parsons is that linebacker and Leighton Vander Esch is the other linebacker Vander Esch really can't cover a guy like Swift and probably not Hawkinson either. So what the Lions probably need to do is go a little bit lower tempo than they're accustomed to hold onto the ball, try to get the Dallas defense tired, try to get the pass rush, you know, down from 120% intensity down to 85, 90 by running on them a bit, uh, then get Swift and Hawkinson going in the short game and, and try to hold onto the ball a lot. Um, I don't know if it's going to work, but I guess that's like the only route that they have to competing here, I guess. Uh, Swift, uh, I think if Swift, if you have Swift, you activate him though. Okay. And then uh, with St. Brown, uh, he, he looks like he's closer to a hundred percent that then Swift is full participant uh, in Wednesday's practice. Fire him up as per usual. Yeah. And I did. uh, I know I just said like, they got to get Swift and Hawkinson going. I I meant to make that sound like, I think they need more from Hawkinson than usual. St. Brown is kind of the constant there and and you like him no matter what. Yeah. Yep. 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 All right. On to the next game. We got giants Jaguars. Yeah. uh, 
I like Doug Peterson, but he's not doing a good job so far with his play calling. Uh, there's a certain they, – they, they got themselves into a certain, like, difficult spot because they went into the year with Zay Jones and Marvin Jones as their outside receivers, which uh, the Christian Kirk thing was working. And I, I still think Christian Kirk's really good. I, I've seen some people are kind of like, ah, yeah, I knew it. He fell back down to earth. And so, well, what do you expect to happen when you're playing 9 and 10 on 11 and only one of those – nine or 10 uh, is actually a downfield or really any kind of pass catching threat. I think they could have helped themselves by using Evan Ingram more downfield, but they haven't. Uh, I don't even understand. Why the hell would you sign Evan Ingram just to use him like the giants did? Like you already saw that doesn't work. Use him like Mm -hmm. Mississippi did. That's obviously what it requires to make Evan Ingram productive. And yet you're still doing this crap where it's like five yard out five yard curl. He doesn't have that good of hands. He has 442 speed, which is faster than any 40-yard dash on the on the Jaguars roster, or sorry, offensive starting roster. So if they started using Christian Kirk and Evan Ingram as kind of like dueling post route guys in the middle of the field, that's something that can make the safeties think twice before leaning forward. But this thing where they just have Kirk and nobody else, it's it's a lot like the problem with the Chargers offense where they're they're playing on an eight-yard field every snap. Anyone who knows anything about football will tell you that it's a lot easier to defend an eight yard field or a 20 yard field than a 40 or a 50 or however long they're looking at. And no matter how far back they're in their own territory, the Jaguars are playing on a 10 yard field. So if they don't change that by using Engram speed downfield to push the safeties back, they're just going to keep constricting on themselves. And that's even if they get ETN going more, which is that is the main thing they need to do. They need to get ETN going earlier in games. Um, what Doug Peterson has been doing is just kind of like one drive ETN, one drive Robinson. It's like, you can't do that when one guy averages two and a half yards more per carry than the other. You, mm-hmm. What you could do is use ETN primarily early in games. And then if you get a lead, put in Robinson to run out the clock. That makes perfectly good sense. But when they right. rotate in Robinson early, and I like Robinson, but like, A, he's just not as good as ETN. And B, he is returning from a Achilles tendon tear, so we shouldn't expect him to be his best self either. So limit Robinson's usage, if at all possible, to low leverage situations. And Doug Peterson has so far kind of done the opposite of that. So I'm not out on Trevor. I, I think Trevor's still the truth, but um, he's playing 9 and 10 on 11, and Doug Peterson is taking the ball away from their best player from scrimmage. You're going to lose to a Brian Dable coach every time if you keep up that. That's what I'm saying. Like at the end of the day, I just think that the the Giants do have that that coaching edge, and you know they have that oh, ability yeah. to to and defense put, too. It's like Martindale is a defensive coordinator. It's like they they are running their team better than anybody, and it's not why it's not like they're gonna keep it up quite. You know, they're not gonna they're not gonna finish the year thirteen and four or something. But it's not a fluke that they are outplaying their opponents the way they have. No, definitely not. Um, that yeah, they are. Um, maybe lacking that top end talent, but they're a real solid team that's well coached. And in this environment, that's pretty, that makes you pretty dangerous. Uh, you know, because I feel like we, we've spent a lot of this pod and rightfully so bemoaning a lot of the coaches in the NFL and uh, the giants for once uh, after many misfires have seen we their guy. I mean, I know it's, it's like, Oh, of course we'll look at the bills offenses. Why wouldn't you hire that guy? But uh, th- there was, there was a time when Dable was not, when no one really cared, you know, and it was like, people should have seen, Hey, not that many coaches have this level of like insight and pragmatism that he does. Like he, he just, 
he, he finds solutions and he's, he's not beholden to any kind of like offensive ideology. He just goes out there and he's like, what do we got to work with? You know, let's, let's move the ball. He looks like he's had some free dinners or a, a good amount of free dinners since he's taking over that head, head coaching position. He's get, he's got the, the Will Muschamp itis getting a little, getting a little soft <laughs> in the middle, but that, that's okay. Um, cause he's winning games. Um, let's hit a couple of questions here. Appreciate, uh, everyone's patience on the live stream. Uh, got an interesting either or here, uh, Pittman and Goddard or Juju and Mark Andrews. I'd rather have the second one. I would as well. Um, let's see here. Uh, da, da, da. uh, Mixon and Kenyon Drake for Kenneth Walker and Raheem uh, uh, Mostert. Um, so I would take the Walker Mostert side. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't want to make it sound like Mostert's a lock to stay upright. I guess he's already got the knee, but um, Walker, I think I would take over Mixon straight up, and Drake's just kind of a nothing player to me. Yeah, that that's just going to evaporate quickly. So you have. Two solid contributors, uh, Walker being like a kind of high-end RB2, low-end RB1 the rest of the way, and and Mostert that can give you at least a couple of big games here down the stretch, um, whereas Mixon, solid, but um, I think we, we kind of know what he is at this point. And uh, yeah, Drake, I think, is just so far behind the, the rest of the other three in this one that um, I would do the, the Walker-Mostert side. Um, chair, chair. Wants to know, uh, do you believe in love after love? No, she also wants to know, Romeo Dubs. Love after love, John. Oh my God, I biffed it. I biffed my share. <laughs> I'm gonna hear about it in the comments this week. Um, Romeo Dobbs or Chase Claypool? Um, I I like Claypool. I just don't. I can't. I can't take anything for granted for his opportunity level because I feel like he's had mismatches all year, and last week was the first time he ever really got going. And uh, I don't think it's his fault, but that also leads me to think it's not up to his control either, or you know, not much up to his control. So I'm also high on Dobbs. I think the Washington defense should be pretty accommodating. I'd probably go with Dobbs. Okay, that that also, interestingly enough, uh, is a lineup decision I have to make in uh, the NFFC this week. So it's not easy. I mean, Claypool's know. talent is substantial, but I just I just don't know how much. I just don't know what his opportunity level is there. No, I, I don't either. That's that's always the frustrating part about any of these uh, Pittsburgh uh, pass catchers. Got a message from our friends over at Monkey Knife Fight. Football is officially back on Monkey Knife Fight with all the NFL action you're looking for. And if college football is more your speed, they've got plenty of that too. On Monkey Knife Fight, there's no sharks, no salary caps, and no math. It's just easy to play, easy to win, daily fantasy player props. Join now at monkeyknifefight.com and you'll get your first game for free. Then use promo code RWNFL to get your first deposit match instantly up to $100. So what are you waiting for? Join Monkey Knife Fight today. All right, let's go Colts, Titans. Titans at home. Titans obviously uh, beat Indianapolis in the big oil drum earlier this season, just a few weeks back to kind of help the Titans get get a little bit uh, off the schneid. I think that was after they beat the Raiders, I want to say. Um, and now Indianapolis, I mean, they, 
they played an interesting game last week and ended up uh, coming out on top against the Jags. Uh, do the Titans go 2-0 and against this Indianapolis bunch? Certainly don't want to take it for granted. Um, the Jonathan Taylor thing is, I guess, the most interesting part of this game to me. And I, I know he's limited in practice yesterday. So I assume he's going to be limited all week. But if that's, a, again, a real high ankle sprain, he's still not ready. And just because he's a freak athlete, I mean, I can imagine him on a, on a high ankle sprain, Jonathan Taylor would still look kind of good just because of how freakishly, you know, brutishly strong and fast he is. But that ankle is not going to be healed yet. <clears throat> so especially when Deion Jackson did as well as he did last week, I would still hold him out at least another game if I was the Colts, but I'd I'm not going to trust the Colts to do whatever I think is smart. Uh, I sooner would bet on the opposite, I guess. <clears throat> so I wouldn't be surprised if they, I, I think they would hurt themselves to put Taylor out there at, uh, I would guess he's no better than 75% at this point. And uh, that kind of thing it would, would test their luck on a margin of error that I, I don't think they can really withstand. So the Titans can blow it and they, they can kind of blow it against anybody, but I don't know. I, I got to go with the Titans just because I, I also am not convinced, I guess, that the Colts have fixed any of their offensive. They, they made it better moving prior to right guard. They must have just switched. Braden Smith was the right guard before, wasn't he? So they switched the right guard with the right tackle, which I have never seen happen before. They got better results, but that's just because prior is just so bad at right tackle. I, I'm not convinced that that's actually a, a good setup specifically. So I don't know. I, I don't know where it's going to come from. But I, I think the Titans can win this uh, just because I feel like the Colts are still just kind of a mess. Yeah, and Titans coming off the bye. I don't have Vrabel's off the bye splits in front of me, but Vrabel's a good coach. Um, I think that uh, that the Titans get it done in this spot. I like them covering two, uh, two and a half at some shops. Uh, Packers, Commanders. Uh, this line is, has moved a decent bit throughout the course of the week. The Packers were five and a half point favorites at a lot of places now down even to four and a half uh, at, at DraftKings Sportsbook. Um, so obviously Washington making the move for, from Wentz to, to Taylor Heineke. But that that has only shifted things so much. And that that was known, I think, before um, a lot of this movement was concerned. So what, what do you think is fueling that? Do you think it's the way that the market is shaped up or, you know, do you think that there really is a chance that Washington keeps this one pretty close? I guess they might, um, excuse me. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think Washington's pretty dead and uh, I know the Packers look about that themselves, but I feel like there's a certain like belligerent, flailing that the that Washington's doing right now and especially the the whole Brian Robinson thing I mean it I know no one wants to hear it because they they want him to be like this mascot for like feel good story like it's it's awful that he got shot and you know our nation is yes falling apart it's it's all very bad and it's it's nice that he withstood that but like it just doesn't matter uh, for football I'm sorry and uh, he's not good the more they use him, the quicker they will lose. Uh, those three receivers are tough, but I don't know if they're really going to do that much against these Green Bay corners. I mean, other than McLaurin, I'm not convinced 
any of them actually have an upper hand against any of the corners that they'll be against. And if even McLaurin, if, if the Packers somehow get Alexander to shadow him, it shouldn't be that hard, by the way. The Packers make it sound like it's so hard to do that, but it, it shouldn't be. They make it um, sound so hard that it's hard, or like it's so hard to get Aaron Jones the ball. It's like you're the ones that are in charge of that. Yeah. Uh, Lafleur, by the way, is also in a tailspin. Like, I don't mean to make it sound like the Packers are are a particularly well-founded team right now. They're they're definitely not. Uh, Rodgers is an idiot, obviously, and I can't imagine he's being all that helpful right now. Um, uh, he says he he has to play a tick better. <laughs> uh, yeah, I uh, I think though that he does have a big personnel advantage in this game. Like the Washington defense just sucks. And I guess I shouldn't even say personnel so much as just uh, Washington's very mismanaged. Jack Del Rio is a complete clown and uh, Ron Rivera is a clown for not firing him. So uh, I, I just I just don't know how you lose to this team. Like, it's just they just so they're just so stupid and bad. And they didn't have like a, it's not like they have so much talent to start with that they can get away with that. Uh I think I think the Packers clean up here. I don't know. Maybe I'm hmm. maybe I'm maybe I'm too quickly moving, you know, glossing over their their obvious issues. But it's just I think it's I think it's like a perspective issue of just you can have problems as a team and still not have quite near as many problems as Washington does. Which also they they have a the lame duck, uh, lame owner duck maybe even like they've, they've got all kinds of just drama around them it's like their stadium's falling apart everybody like every game that they have at that stadium there's pipes bursting and just pouring sewage on their own fans and it's like very how poetic do we expect this to, how do we expect this to end exactly did you so uh obviously you watched uh last thursday's commanders bears game and uh al michaels playing into into old danny boy was uh <laughs> that that was awesome and uh Dan looked like a a very like frazzled man who's like on the run and like you know like time is running out on, on him. Yeah, you'd hate sort to of see like, anything bad happen to Dan, but um. <laughs> I mean, he just I mean they they were sitting there. He had you know the two like kind of sycophant fellows sitting next to him, glad handing. But yeah, uh, yeah, Snyder Snyder looks like he's kind of spinning. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I. I he should keep in mind that the NFL is largely fun, uh, founded on old mafia money, uh, at least in the case of a few teams. And um, if he wants to play like that really, that really aggressive, like high level, big capital, uh, kill me if you don't want me to talk kind of <laughs> rhetoric. Like, I don't know, man. I, I'm not saying, I'm not saying they're going to, they're going to put a shooter on Dan, but he, he's, he's high level capital. Uh, dirty bank type stuff. It's like, there's, there's killers in that world, man. You don't want to, if you have that much dirt on these people, it might not be the safest thing to let it out. So, uh, no, no, it's kind of fun. I think what we're going to see is Dan eventually gets the fear of God put in. Dan's going to go. So some, some part of his, he's going to go to like his vehicle or his home and there's going to be a a hole singed through it. And there's going to be like a note you know something there and it's going to be like you know we have more of this you know cease. Yeah, it, what, what is that line in a eyes wide shut like cease your useless inquiries or whatever it's like there's going to be something like that there waiting for him and i think he even he's going to all of a sudden realize he's not so tough virginia mccaskey uh like standing out in his front yard 
for baseball that. Yeah, you don't really know who the shooter is going to be. See, no, exactly. It's it's always who you least expect. Um, but yeah. Anyway, but, while while sewage uh, just completely uh, sweeps <laughs> away the fans who, for some reason, go to this game, I think uh, Rogers will, uh, you know, do enough to win. I'm starting to come around on that. I was fairly strong on Washington earlier in the week, but I, I think you you raise uh, some good points. Of course, um, we already did Jets Broncos. Let's hit these last couple Raiders Texans. Both these teams off the bye. Raiders seven point favorites. Yeah, I guess a good running back game. Um, don't know what else you can say. Really, sounds like there's a little bit of a Brandon Cooks Lovey Smith feud maybe brewing. Uh, we'll we'll see what happens with that. Uh, like he was uh, Cooks didn't practice, and 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 Lovey called it a coach's decision. Which uh, oh. Sounds it maybe I'm misunderstanding, but that sounds different than just like player rest to me. Uh, so whatever. Uh, yeah, these these teams are bad, but the running backs are pretty hot. I don't know why they would slow down here exactly. So with with that in mind, do you like the? Well, I guess the the total isn't all that high. It's forty five and a half. But with 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 both run games cooking, you expect a, a bit of a shorter game. Maybe this goes under. Yeah, uh, although the over-under is up two points from the opening, I don't know. I don't really know on what basis that would be. I think you're right. I mean, when teams run as much as these two have reason to, then the clock can kind of slip by, you know, in a way that you don't really... Like, you look up at the scoreboard and it's like, how the hell do we have three minutes left in the second quarter already? Um, that's that's a, that's a risk here. I know McDaniels has a pretty up-tempo tendency in New England. I don't know if he's... I, I don't know whether he's doing that in Vegas so far. Uh, the tempo is how you offset the the clock running out so fast, uh, but it would require that, or it would require big plays. I don't see a big play ability in the Vegas offense at all, and it's like Houston's big play ability is Nico Collins. I don't know. I I, I don't like the I don't like the forty five and a half uh, over. I can tell you that even if I'm missing something, I I think uh, the the time to go over if there ever was one would have been when it was at forty three and a half, but certainly not now. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so either. Uh, Brock wants to know. Uh, so gone over a couple of these guys between DJ Moore and, and Romeo Dobbs, but uh, enter Olave into that mix. Uh, this is a trade, right? So I would take the Olave side if that's a trade, and I would. Oh shoot, my, I, I misread. Yes, I mean I would. I, I, I mean it's hard to tell for sure, but if that's a trade, I I, I kind of do prefer the Olave side. I think. It, um, and if it's for picking this week, I would also go with Olave. Okay. I would as well. Um, let's see here. Thanks for the question, Brock. Uh, Lex wants to know, uh, would you roster Melvin Gordon or Rashad white? Oh, man. Oh, I forgot to go over Hackett. Uh, just he benches Gordon for a game. Presumably he has some reason for that. And then all it takes is Gordon going like to the media, like, I want to play more. And Hackett says, okay, okay. Uh, I, hey, Melvin, I love you, man. Uh, yeah, we'll start you now just because you asked. Like, really? That, it, coach just, uh, just, just, gets, just totally flips the depth chart because a player whined about it. Like, I'm, I'm obviously like the pro bono public defender of running backs at large. And even I would say <laughs> Melvin Gordon is horribly overpaid and is not a good player. I, I love he's not that. helping your cases. 
I love what a spineless loser Hackett is. He's just such an idiot loser. It's so great. <laughs> um, anyway, I would probably go with Gordon, I guess, because apparently uh, if he tells Hackett to start him, he will. But uh, mm-hmm. I do like White, though. I think White's the better player. And granted, yeah, if Fournette gets hurt, White becomes pretty valuable. So th- this could just be a stash question. Uh, so would gosh, you... I like White more, I guess. Okay. If, you, if you need a flex play, maybe Gordon. Yeah, they, they said they didn't need to start either this week. So so maybe uh, maybe yeah, uh, Rashad White White's is the a better answer. player. And I do th- as much as I was complaining about the Buccaneers before, I I do think they'll get better over the course of the year, even if it's a pretty low point that they're starting with right now. Indeed. All right, Seahawks, Chargers. Chargers six point favorites in this Soy one. Boy versus my my uh my great cool leader, granddad Carol. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I I'm taking the Seahawks, man. Yes. I don't know why? Hell yes. Think that the Chargers are a good team. They're not. Their coach is a fool. Uh, their personnel is not that great. They have Herbert and uh, unless I mean, I guess I should check to make sure Bosa is not back yet. Um, that to be fair to Soy Boy. Losing Bosa is, is a, a lot for a team to deal with. Um, I guess he's on he's IR. On IR. Okay, so yeah. Uh, I don't know why anyone would think that the Chargers have a big advantage here. Even Mike Williams. Uh, I mean, you, you don't worry about this matchup for Mike Williams. You're starting him if you have him. But uh, he does not have an obvious matchup advantage against these corners. In fact... Tariq Woolen might be the one of the last corners a guy like Williams wants to see. He's yeah, you tweeted his, uh, his spider chart yesterday. Yeah. Uh, Woolen is actually an insane athlete. I mean, he, he's probably like a top five athlete in NFL history. Uh, and I know that people are going to say, how, how dare you say something so aggressive or whatever. It's like, okay, well, point out to me then the last six foot four, 205 pound player to run a four two six. And, and have uh, the, the jumps and whatever else that he does. I, I think it. you're talking Randy Moss and no one else. Mm. And um, anyway, he's, he's doing pretty well. I, I will say like Woolen has four interceptions or something like that. And he's not, he's not like a shutdown corner. It's just when you're a six foot four corner with the longest arms in the league, and you're also one of the, like the, the five to 10 fastest players in the league, that's a tough matchup for a guy like Mike Williams. The other corner, Mike Jackson, Mike Williams can beat him and maybe, maybe soy boy will be smart enough to get Mike Williams against Mike Jackson instead of Tariq Woolen. But uh, if, if Williams doesn't go and if Eckler's going to have a big game, I should say, if, well, geez, maybe I shouldn't even assume that they were, they're overworking him. He was taking a lot of hits in that game to not get them very far last week. Um, yep. Soy boy is overworking him. They had one job this offseason: get, get some help for Eckler and get some speed at receiver. And soy boy did neither one. So, they're going to pay for that. Uh, maybe not in this game, but six and a half points, five and a half points. Ken Walker against that run defense of the chargers. Gino playing legitimately well, the, the high dollar corner pickup giving the chargers nothing. I don't, by the way, I'm not blaming JC Jackson for that. If he doesn't know how to run a basic cover three, that's kind of on Staley for not running a good practice. I mean, JC Jackson can run a cover three. He was, he was mostly a man coverage guy with the Patriots, but uh, he wasn't ready to play. That's on Soy Boy. Um, it's a it's a badly coached team with overrated talent level against a pretty well coached team that everyone just constantly writes off, even though there's no reason to. So, uh, give me the Seahawks to win. Yes, sir. Yeah, I'm, I, I like the the Seahawks a lot this week as well. 
Um, let's let's take a look. Let's see how the the betting market is shaping up. Eighty three percent of the money uh, as of Wednesday was coming in on the Seahawks. So public 83%? faith. Eighty three percent. Yeah, over at DraftKings. So oh, public faith. I'm looking at the reason shaking. I was surprised is I'm looking at the covers page, and I, I don't know if their 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 betting volume is referring to just the bets rather than the the money amount, but they're showing it about even and the the, the spread dropping. Yeah, half a point. So uh, that's interesting, though. Uh, I guess that means like the fantasy betting people specifically are much higher on the Seahawks than. Maybe uh, I mean, this would just be you know DraftKings Sportsbook. So. Oh right, I just need to say like I don't know how often your old school better types go to DraftKings specifically versus whatever the hell. But anyway, uh, yeah, I, I just I think Herbert is is a top two quarterback, but even as you know, he's got the rib issue. I don't know if we're going to have Keenan Allen in this game. I don't know if it really – it would matter if they get Keenan Allen back. I, I, I should say that would that would change things, and it would ease the concern of Williams versus Woolen quite a bit. But mm-hmm. uh, the problem is, I, I, with, particularly with Bosa out, I don't know what grounds there is for thinking the Chargers' defense is any better than maybe average. And below average is totally on the table, I think. Yeah, and that's not good enough against the Seahawks somehow. Um, <laughs> uh, let's go Chiefs, Niners, Niners at home, two and a half point dogs used to be three point. Uh, wait, no, Chief, yeah, the Chiefs are favored now. Yeah. Oh, it says that, that is... they're opening that two point favorites, I guess. Okay. All right. So at least on uh covers again or something. Right? Got it. Okay. Well, in, in that case, uh, yeah. What, what are your expectations here with, with the Chiefs just covering a field goal? Yeah, uh, I think the Chiefs have some real problems, but and I am very high on the, the 49ers' defense and D'Amico Ryan's especially. Um, the problem is, as good as the 49ers' defense has been, I'm not sure that they hold up that well against a very spread offense. Like if you're putting them in, if you're going four wide a lot, which the Chiefs do, then you're talking some corners that don't play that much for the, especially in light of the Emmanuel Mosley injury, you know, it's like they got Diamador Lenoir or whatever from Oregon last year. And they got uh, that Samuel Womack from Toledo, who's a slot guy, but I don't even know. Ambry Thomas, I guess would be their fourth corner. And I know he's had a rough time since they drafted him. So you're going to have guys like Valdez Scantling and Hardman. And I mean, I guess, you know, Juju's, basically Charvarius Ward is the only good corner that the, the 49ers have right now. And somebody is going to have a good matchup pretty much every play that they're, that they're spread out like that. And and the chiefs might as well spread out and just throw all game. Like obviously I normally advocate for running the ball a decent amount, but that's because I think there's a point to it. I don't think there's a point to it in this matchup. Like the chiefs just aren't going to be able to run. So if you're not going to be able to run, and if the defense doesn't need to care that you're trying, then just throw it. And I, I think it'll work, especially because you know, Jimmy can't keep up with, with Mahomes over four quarters. No, that, yeah, the, the Niners would need their defense to really answer the bell here. And uh, I think that they might be too banged up to, to do it. Um, so I, I do like uh, the Chiefs here um, as well. Before we get to our next game, uh, Nick asks the question of our times, really. What do we do with Michael Thomas at this point? Michael Thomas, uh, 
just hope he gets healthy. I mean, he was producing before he got hurt. I don't mean to – I know it's painful to have to wait for a guy like that to come back, especially if you if it feels like it's been longer than three weeks or whatever because you also had him in past years or something like that where you, where you had the ankle saga. But if he's playing, he seems good. I mean, he was, he was beating on A.J. Terrell that one game, and he got hurt. So it sucks, but he's, you know, he's, he's good when he's active. Yeah, yeah. So I think – uh, find a way to, to to keep him on your bench if at all possible. I know that bye weeks can make that a little bit tricky, but I, I think that he'll be back. You know, hopefully early November or something like that. I I, I don't really know how how well he's tracking right now. Um, let's go Sunday night game. Steelers Dolphins Dolphins seven point favorites. They'll be back to closer to full strength with with Tua back in the mix. Uh, Tyreek Hill continues to produce Jalen Waddle. Uh, that's still just a, a a really tough receiver combo for I think these Steelers cornerbacks to contend with. And yeah, the, I think the Steelers' offense is in deep trouble even against a team like the Dolphins. Yeah, seven points, even six points makes me it's a aggressive. little nervous just because sure. of Tomlin uh, alone. But yeah, the Dolphins. I mean, Mostert could get going a bit. Is his knee okay? I forgot to check his. If his knee's all right, this is a pretty good setup for Mostert, I think. And it, particularly if Mostert's going at all, that's when it's really, really tough to stop those two receivers because it's Mostert just... was limited Wednesday. Okay. Um, yeah, that seems fine. He should be fine. Uh, also, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the if the Steelers are kind of like a little. Uh, not like tired exactly, but but maybe they maybe they maybe they used up a little extra psychic energy to to play as well as they did last week, uh, a game they had no business competing in, let alone winning. So I don't know, maybe not not a hangover exactly, but maybe maybe they just maybe they can't keep that one hundred and twenty percent motor two weeks in a row. Yeah, I I like the the Dolphins to to cover this one, even though it's a it's a relatively uh, large spread. And then let's wrap it up, Mario. We've got a real uh, – I don't really know how to describe this one, but we have the Patriots against the Bears on Monday night to, to close out uh, week seven of the 2022 NFL season. Bailey's happy time. It's real. Yeah. And it's uh, spectacular. It's, uh, it's pretty weird what's going on with the Patriots right now. It sounds like, yeah, Mac Jones is still hurt, and I, I know there's the uh, – eventually going to be the debate about which quarterback to go with. And I, I spent so much of last year trying to push back on the uh, Mac Jones elite narratives that PFF and some other people were trying to launder, put out. And uh, even I'm like, man, Mac Jones is better than Dabby. I know it's Dabby's doing a good job, but I, I really do think it's kind of a Cooper rush thing. Like the more you make this guy make plays, the sooner he's going to get exposed and, and you want to, Keep keep asking. Or sorry, you want to ask things of him that are like very situationally favorable. This game should be exactly. So that's that. not going to change this week. Oh, sorry. I was just me. I was kind of like fast. This game, yeah, Patriots win. Uh, I was kind of like fast forwarding to like whenever Jones's ankle is ready to go. I I, I do think you have to go with Jones when you're the if, you, if, you're, if the you're Mac Patriots. Jones. After that picture comes out of of you just like <laughs> looking like you're getting pulled off of Omaha Beach, I feel like you got to sit for at least a month. Yeah, he was like he was like a civil war guy getting his leg amputated. <laughs> and, and, uh, 
the hallway there. Quick, uh, the morphine. Yeah, so that 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 picture is. He's fine, so it's okay to laugh at his pain. It, it's it's uh it's gone. He's not. Oh yeah, no, not, we're 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 in bounds here. He's got um, like a billion dollars. He's fine. Um, he, he, yeah. So uh, anyway, I think uh, Zappy though is mostly just kind of like a Cooper Rush kind of player, better than that. But um, if if you if you're making him throw a hundred passes, obviously not in one game, but it's like you, you got to expect that uh, the higher the number of attempts gets the sooner something bad is going to happen. And if you can keep his usage contained, don't expose him that much to the defense. That's, that's when he can kind of, that's when you give him more to work with because the defense isn't as zeroed in on him. But if, if you try to do some kind of thing where you're airing it out with him, I think you'll see some, some problems flare up. But not I, I think game. that the Patriots are just gonna They know that he's limited and I think they're just going to, yeah. I think he's going to play to the exact, like confines and constraints that they put out for him. And I, I think that he has that ability. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think it's totally fair to, to note that he doesn't have like a, even an average NFL arm or anything, but I think he, he absolutely knows what he's doing back there. Yeah, he must. And again, for this game, I have no concerns at all. Like the bears just don't have any teeth. Like they have Jalen Johnson at corner and then nobody else. And like Roquan Smith is not in himself a defense. So no. uh, Zappy should be fine. And, and the Patriots should be able to run well. And uh, about as importantly, they might have possession for two thirds or more of this game. How so, bad is Belichick going to make Justin Fields look? Uh, um, well, some kind of bad probably, but I, I almost wonder if it's, if it doesn't really even matter the matchup, because like the Bears are just such a dead on arrival offense that like a bad defense can make them look bad. So I don't I don't know how much worse it can get. Uh, maybe maybe it can get a lot worse still, but um, I don't know. It's just it's just gonna be like a, a dreary uh, just just uh, running out the clock basically right from the start. I, rather the Patriots might get a quick lead. Like they they they're trying to arrange some strikes for Zappy and he he's making the he's hitting his targets right now. So they'll, they'll do that. But once they get up two scores, I think it's just going to be kind of a, you know, sit on the ball, uh, just gas the bears defense. Just, just keep running, running. I'd like to see Kevin Harris get more shots. I was, it's uh, good to see him out there, but uh, I guess if Damien's back, that, that's, that's probably the end of the uh, Kevin Harris uh, uh, audition. For, yeah. At least, at least for now. Um, and I personally uh, am leaning towards putting myself in the torture chamber yet again with my Monday night survivor pick. Um, I think I'm going to go with the Patriots this week. The rest of the board is, mm, uh, I'm not, not sold enough on any of those other teams. So I'm just going to have to cruise through Sunday and wait for, wait for pain on Monday night. But, uh, John, as someone who thought the Steelers had no chance last week, let me say there's no way the Patriots lose this. (laughs) Well, you know, somehow we've made it work. Um, Got the Bucks a couple of weeks ago against the Falcons. That that was more of a sweat than it needed. Are you, to be. You're not on your second strike, right? I I am. So oh okay. So well, I was gonna say if you're still if, if, to take no strikes would be amazing the way this year has gone. Yeah, it's. I mean, there have been some serious serious wipeouts. Um, a lot of people got got hit by the Bucks last week. Um, yeah, again, I I just had already used them. Um, and I was really, really hoping for uh, the Panthers to somehow pull that one off. That would have wiped out a lot of people. But uh, you know, there's one win. Don't I, worry. Can't, can't get greedy. Can't get too greedy. But uh, really appreciate 
uh, all the comments in, in the chat. We appreciate you guys uh, tuning in to the live stream every single week. And of course, we appreciate you, uh, dear audio listener, listening in podcast form a little bit later on. Um, but that's going to round it out for this edition of the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. Again, brought to you by our friends over at No House Advantage. Make sure you tune in for the Friday uh, Roadwire Fantasy Show. Uh, that's all DFS. That's Scott Jenstad. That's Ryan Belangi. Those guys have been helping me cash even a, a little bit uh, in NFL DFS this year. So that that, that in and of itself, a, a major, major accomplishment. So those guys putting out great stuff every Friday. Make sure you listen to that. For Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening. Try Rotowire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try.